The new year is the perfect time to start building credit scores. Because when your credit scores increase, your opportunities do too. Like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to keep building your credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. You can use Credit Builder everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit score safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Start building your credit history and finding new opportunities with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here to wrap up on Selection Monday, uh, otherwise known as Memorial Day. So Joe and I are probably not going to go the longest that we have on this podcast. Uh, but we have thoughts about the selection show that happened earlier today as we record this. Tomorrow, as you listen to it, uh, there is a field of 64 uh, that's exciting. The tournament starts on Friday. That's even more exciting. Uh, and so we're going to get into all of that here and more today on the podcast. Uh, and before we really get going here, I just want to lay out a little bit of schedule here, some housekeeping. I know this is the time of year when people check in at you know a greater rate than uh, maybe in, in uh, March or, or early April. So if you're new or returning for the postseason, welcome. Uh, we go twice a week on the podcast, so make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us, and we're going to go twice a week throughout the postseason. Uh, Joe may not know that. I've just committed us to doing that, Joe. Uh, we're going to keep the, the twice a week schedule throughout the postseason, um, you know, so if you're looking for, you know, uh, a look at, at a preview super regional, recap regional, we'll be here. Uh, throughout the postseason into Omaha and beyond. Um, there's plenty to come on the website this week to get you ready for regionals. We'll have regional by regional previews. As always, uh, there's stuff wrapping up Selection Monday. Uh, and you know, as this is a busy time of year in terms of coaching changes, we are tracking all of those as well. So uh, check out baseballamerica.com for all of that. It's a great time of year. Hopefully uh, you all can... Uh, can find something that to, to read there uh, that you like and, and get ready for uh, for regionals this weekend. And Joe, let's talk about Selection Monday. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, going to be uh, just as a fair warning, probably a little looser version of the podcast today. I mean, one that's honestly, I think if you're tuning in for this kind of podcast, reacting to the bracket, all that kind of stuff, I think you kind of do want a little looser podcast where we're just kind of flying around talking about different stuff. I think that's kind of what you're looking for. And also, you know, enough is going on today and, and, you know, we got to get moving on preview and stuff and we're going to get it all done. So it's a busy day. Um, also, it should be noted, so Joe and I have slept a total like combined of like 50 hours over the last week, I would guess that yeah, might be it's, high. It's, even. it's pretty rough. Yeah. It's, it's a rough, 
a rough deal. Um, so all of that combined, like it, it's just, it's going to be a little bit of a, we don't have much of an outline today, which I think, I think might be good, but it, it will. Yes. It, th- there might be some rough transitions. There might be some, uh, some lack, lack of segue, uh, to put it, to put it that way. But, um, again, I think that's kind of what you're, what you're looking for is a little loose and off the cuff in this type of podcast episode. All right. So let's, uh, let's get to it and let's start with, uh, the selections of the host sites, which were announced uh, Sunday evening. And we're gonna get to the actual like way that they were announced and the time that they were announced here in a second. So don't worry about that, we will cover that. Uh, but the, the hosts were announced, the 16 of them rolled out. Uh, if you looked at my final projections, 15 of those were the hosts that I had projected the night before. Uh, so not really many surprises in, in a way of, of who got got those those host sites? Notre Dame was the one that I had projected that didn't get it. Um, but now, with the benefit of seeing how everything played out on Sunday, I now think Oklahoma is actually the team that got snubbed the most. It's not saying that Notre Dame shouldn't have been, or that I agree with the decision not to host them. I think Notre Dame would have been a perfectly solid host site. Uh, but I personally think Oklahoma has the best case of anyone that didn't get hosted. Uh, but um, among those host sites, there are two new ones, uh, two, two teams that never hosted before, Georgia Southern and Maryland. We knew Maryland would host uh, Georgia Southern. Joe and I were always skeptical of uh, without them earning a trophy. They never did. They lost in the championship game at the Sun Belt uh, tournament, but ultimately they get to host anyway, thanks to a top 10 RPI. Um Anything really jump out to you in terms of host site announcements, Joe? In the moment, not really. I mean, Notre Dame getting left out, I guess, was was the big thing. But they had been so up and down this year, just without even really looking at the hard numbers, like it it didn't that did not strike me as shocking. I guess in hindsight, though, I think what's interesting about it is just kind of like last year when Notre Dame got left out of the top eight last season. We could, in hindsight, look at that and understand that, you know, we should have seen that as bad news for the ACC. I think Notre Dame not hosting this time, although the counterfactual to that is that, well, Carolina's resume is not too fundamentally different from some of these other ACC teams. And, and, I mean, except you know, that their RPI is four. Well, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. It is a little, we'll get into this a little later, but the, what is being valued is a little more scattershot this year, which could be received as good or bad news, depending on, I guess, your viewpoint and whether or not your team got in today. Um, but I think, in hindsight, looking at Notre Dame getting left out and the fact that Maryland was closer to not hosting than it was to being a top eight. Um, I think we could have maybe seen the read some tea leaves there to understand what was going to happen today. Um, you never know though. I mean, you just, you don't know exactly what they're valuing there and had the bubble not tightened to the degree it did, we probably would have had NC state and Rutgers in the field, but we, we didn't. And Florida state, by the way, not in the last four in. So um, you know, in hindsight, I think we the, the committee was sending us messages with the host site announcements. In the moment, we just don't have enough information to really draw broad conclusions from that. But that is the conclu- those are the conclusions that were proper to be drawn uh, after the host sites were announced. Yeah, in the I always we weren't able to do it last year because they were working off of a short list of twenty, so there wasn't a whole lot to glean from what they actually the sixteen that they picked. But typically, when they're they, they, the committee tips their hand when they pick 16 hosts. And I asked Joe, uh, 
okay, so what did we learn from Notre Dame not hosting? And we couldn't figure it out last night. In retrospect, with the benefit of the full analysis, I know exactly what we should have learned, and it would have completely changed the way I put the field together a night ago. Um, Didn't know it, and to my detriment, I didn't pick up on why Notre Dame didn't host. I fixated, I think, on the wrong thing. I fixated on the fact that Notre Dame only played 49 games, and that is something that gets talked about you know, here and there, like Notre Dame last year didn't play midweek games. That's why they didn't get a top eight seed. And, um, you know, they keep having these games canceled and they just don't play that many games. And I don't like that. Like you hear that, um, you know, coaches want, you know, typically teams work to get the full 56 games. Notre Dame for a variety of reasons, starting with, um, you know, the fact that the school does have some significant academic restrictions on what they can, how much class time they can miss everything. They have been well short of 56 over the last two years. And um, I thought that was what was costing them last night. In reality, what cost them, it seems like the most, and I'm not saying that that didn't factor in here, but what I think cost them the most is that their non-conference strength of schedule is 259. If I paid attention to that last night, everything else would have become much clearer today, I think. Um, But that was the thing uh, that, that, you know, I think the committee did tip its hand on the Oklahoma bit or the, the Maryland bit with them being closer to not hosting than hosting. I mean, we didn't know that at the time, but yes, that also is a a clear indication of how they were going to view the rest of the field. Um, The Oklahoma thing though, Joe, let's, let's get into the timing of this host site announcement. They, the, the committee releases the hosts on Sunday night. They always have, uh, and that's to give the, the, the hosts that little bit of extra time to start getting ready. Hosting a regional is not necessarily the easiest thing. You have to get organized. There's a lot to do before the teams show up. So they give them that extra little bit of time to get ready. I have no issue with that. The problem is that they did this at 8.30 Eastern, a time at which the Big Ten and the Big 12 were actively playing their championship games. And as Mike Buddy, the committee chair, said today, the Pac-12 pitchers probably hadn't even started warming up at that time. Uh, Turned out the way the Pac-12 tournament worked didn't matter. Oklahoma or Oregon State, excuse me, Oregon State and Stanford were hosting no matter what. Didn't matter. Big 10 didn't matter for host sites, uh, Michigan and Rutgers were uninvolved, but the, the big 12, it did matter. Texas was hosting. Uh, and it, now we know like firmly hosting, uh, Oklahoma was on the edge and Oklahoma goes on, wins the big 12 title. Their RPI moves to 19. And you would think that they, that would be enough to, to potentially push them over the edge. In addition, they have 18 top 50 wins. The only teams in the country with more than that are Tennessee and North Carolina. Um, So really, Oklahoma has a very strong case to host. But as it turns out, like their resume wasn't finished by the time host sites were announced. Now, Mike Buddy did say that the committee really evaluated, like, well, do we have to have a plan? Like, what if Oklahoma wins? What if they win by like 20 runs? Like, what do we do then? And they still decided no to Oklahoma. And I don't really understand how that decision was how they landed on that decision still like it 
that doesn't make sense to me. Oklahoma for me should be hosting, but regardless of whether that was the case or not, the optics of it look terrible. And I just don't understand why the committee put themselves in that position, knowing that the big 12 was going to start late, knowing that Oklahoma was on the edge. Would it really have been so bad to delay the announcement by 60 to 90 minutes to make sure that they had the full information? I I just don't understand why they didn't delay the announcement. Yeah. It just kind of, have you ever, um, have you, have you ever worked in a job where you've had a uh, someone tell you like someone you're 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 talking to or maybe you've been the person on the other side where like you you've been a, a patron at a business where you know you talk to one person and you get one answer and you talk to someone else and you get another answer or you get information repeated back to you or you have to repeat a process and in the thought passes or someone says to you like do you guys talk to each other like you know like <laughs> I, that's kind of what it felt like to me was, and this is not, by the way, the PAC 12 had their first tournament and it is almost like the PAC 12 was like, well, we want it to be in prime time on the West coast and ESPN will give us the airtime if we do it late to fit into this window. And also it's Scottsdale and let's avoid the hundred degrees if we can, yada, yada, yada. And it really did kind of feel like almost like there was just not any thought given to like, oh yeah, it's going to conflict with host sites and host site announcements. And now that excuse doesn't exist for the Big 12 because they also played it later last year. Now last year was different, like you mentioned, they were drawing from a short list, and so it, it just didn't have as many ramifications. But I, I did talk to someone with the Big 12, like you know, at these conference tournaments, there are like employees of the conference, like just floating around all over the place. And and one of one of the employees asked me, like, what time do the host sites come out? And actually, at the time, I didn't have the answer for him. I was like, I don't, I actually don't remember to be honest. But I know it's not going to probably be after the title game is over. And that's the first time it had really occurred to me, but it, it it did to go back to my original point, it really did just seem like the type of situation where the conferences or ESPN or, you know, whoever and the NCAA just were not communicating on that is what it strikes me as like, it was like, it was just never considered until perhaps, you know, it was too late in the process, right? Cause you can't like Sunday morning, like the committee and or the big 12 can't just go like, oh crap you know, we're going to have a conflict here. And then you can't like scoot the game up two hours, right? At that point, uh, you could have moved the host selection sites back, but I understand why day of you wouldn't necessarily want to do that, but you certainly could have done that a week before. Anyway, long story short, like, yes, I'm with you. Like it's just kind of bizarre and, and hard to imagine that that game ended up mattering because let's be honest, the committee are also human. And I don't mean that as a way to, to denigrate them. I, I just mean it as if you're putting this field together and that game is still happening, and by the way, Oklahoma jumped out to a pretty big lead early. Now you can't just assume a win in that situation, but like it became pretty clear pretty quickly where that game was headed. But it it, it just it does seem like they just kind of went, well, even you know maybe they did think about doing a contingency plan, but it is kind of human nature to just be like, well, let's make a case against Oklahoma and let's just not worry about it because yeah. that's e- because that's easier, right? Yeah. Like, again, that's not an accusation. I'm just saying like, that is kind of the human nature way to deal with that. And it kind of feels like that's how we arrived there. I, it just felt like Sunday didn't matter, period. Like the only thing that mattered is that the bubble continued to shrink, like that they dealt with the the, the ramifications of new auto bids. But North Carolina being a 12 seed, um, like Mike Buddy was never, and uh, this is partially on me, I didn't ask him on the the conference call today, like why UNC was seated so low, 
Um, but RPI 12, ACC champion, uh, 19 ACC wins, more top, like nobody in the country has more top 50 wins than North Carolina does. Like, why is North Carolina not a top eight seed? But ECU, worst RPI, two top 50 wins, um, like on and on and on. Like I can, like I can lay out the full case here, but why is ECU like eight? and UNC is 12. And I'm not even saying ECU doesn't deserve a top eight seat, but like, why is there a four spot gap there? Uh, it just seems like what happened on Sunday in the ACC championship game, which happened very early in the day, was not accounted for. Like, and, and that you can look at that throughout the, the conferences. And, you know, in the basketball tournament, you hear, um, you know, in the men's basketball tournament, you hear John Calipari, the Kentucky coach, complain about you know the sec and the big 10 play their championship games late in the day and in basketball um you know the selection show is on sunday evening and the big 10 like historically has like the very last time slot they the whoever wins the big 10 championship like cuts down the nets and then goes to the locker room to watch the selection show like that's that's the chain of events that's how tight that is um and john calipari kentucky have heard multiple times say like it just seems like we're playing we're, we play it too late the committee is has everything set and i just couldn't help but thinking about that as some of that stuff played out and i mean you look at some of the broader ramifications of sunday um you know who you, you have three teams that lost conference championship games that have at-large resumes at-large caliber resumes Rutgers, utsa nc state all of them lost all of them are out it just it feels like how how did that happen? And some of it is because the bubble tightened. I get it, but some of it also just feels like they didn't care that they were in the conference championship game that that meant nothing to them. Which raises questions about what conference tournaments are and aren't. But like that that was very striking to me. Yeah, I I, I do. So we're not going to be able to fix all of that, right? Because to your point, the ACC tournament started it you know, noon Eastern and was over by, uh, yeah, I actually don't know what time it was over, but it was over in plenty of time. And it was, you know, not a, not a game that lasted forever. Um, I, but I do wonder if we do see like Oklahoma getting left out, right? Like I understand why the big 12, especially since the big 12 used to be, and I, I've told this story before, you know, back in, you know, I was at the big 12 tournament well this year, but also back in 2019, and the media coverage of the Big 12 tournament now is so much better than it was back then because back then they were kind of locked into like the regional, at the time, what was called Fox Sports Networks, now Bally. Uh, they were locked into that and they were on all these like Fox college sports alternate channels and all, all that stuff. So it, it's gotten a lot better in that regard. So I understand why their relationship with ESPN in terms of coverage seems to be improving. They want that championship game in a, in a good window. You had Texas OU in this case. So obviously you want that in a, in a window kind of as a standalone game. If you can pull it off, I get it. But I do wonder if it does affect a little bit of change um, because it, it did affect them and whether or not, whether or not it actually did, we'll never exactly know because we're not, we can't read minds and we weren't in the room, but the perception is that it did. And that's enough to, to maybe affect some change. And then the Pac-12, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I just, just that was just so bizarre that it's not just, to Mike Buddy's point, it wasn't just that the Pac-12 started late. It was like 90 minutes after the host sites went out. And it's like 10 Eastern. And, and you know, um, and then that game kind of dragged. Like, it really just, that felt 
even though I, I, I read from people who were there that it was a pretty good crowd and they were into it and whatnot, it just felt very marginalized. And sometimes conference tournament game championship games are right in the major conferences, but it did feel extremely marginalized. And so I don't know if, if, if there's any change coming for the, the PAC 12, but, uh, but I do wonder if we look up at some schedules next year and see a little more leeway, whether it's on the conference side or whether it's on the host announcement side, I just have a hard time imagining we're going to be doing this again this time next year. For me, the Pac-12 would be best served by starting the tournament a day earlier. They didn't start until Wednesday, just started on Tuesday, run it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, get out of there. Um, The negative to that is that, you know, you're starting a day earlier, so everyone has to have pitching ready a day earlier. Uh, But in general, like broadly speaking, this was the first Pac-12 tournament. There are things about holding a tournament that you just can't know until you do them. Do you like them? Do you not like them? So I'm curious to see what the Pac-12 does going from here. And I think obviously looking at the time of the championship game is something that they're going to have to do. Uh, It's a nice window to be in. You know, on that Sunday evening, nothing, literally nothing was happening in sports last night. Like the NBA finals, I think were done by the time, or the the Eastern Conference finals felt like they were done by the time uh, the Pac-12 started. I could be incorrect on that, but like they, they had that window to themselves, like really to themselves. So there's benefit to that. Um, But, you know, what if they had had a bubble team playing there? Um, You know, a true bubble team, not a host bubble team, a true bubble team. and you know, the committee then has to, you're, you're counting them on them to reconvene at two in the morning and have like a thorough, honest discussion, uh, having waited around, you know, all, like I, I just, it, it's not ideal. Um, we don't live in an ideal world, obviously, but that's not ideal. And I, I think that, I think I would want to move it to Tuesday, but I under, do understand the, the difficulty of starting a tournament on Tuesday. Um, Anyway, I get that. So I'll be interested to see what the Pac-12 does from here. And I'm just glad that that wasn't a bigger issue because that that could have been a real talking point. Yeah, I mean, as, um, it, as it is, it turns out it was like a showcase game. Two yeah, and three yeah. seeds in the, in the entire tournament. Like, my goodness. Yeah, so... Um, Omaha yeah, preview. I mean, the one thing, yeah, the one thing they do have in their in their favor, by the way, is just that, you know, whether no matter where they play it in the Pac-12 footprint, like they are going to, well, unless they do in the Pacific Northwest, I guess, but where no matter where they go in the Pac-12 footprint, like they're going to have weather on their side, statistics suggest. So like they really did, could have the leeway to start it on Tuesday and not be too worried about it bleeding over. And so they're, they do have some advantage here where they can, they can be a little more creative than some other conferences that are just, as we saw last week, like there's just all kinds of uh, worry about weather this time of year. And they don't, they don't have as much of that. No, that is that is very true. Uh, okay, so then we find out today the seeds. I mentioned this briefly. Uh, Maryland 15, East Carolina 8. Those two stood out to me. UNC 12 also slightly stood out to me. Uh, anything stand out for you, Joe, among the top 16? Uh, Oklahoma State getting in as a top eight, just be, not so much because they don't deserve it. I think the resume is, is, is there for the most part. It's just that how to disentangle the big 12 teams was always going to be a particular challenge um, because the R- some of the RPIs were wonky. Um, some of the resumes didn't necessarily match RPI, you know, Oklahoma state didn't get to the final of the big 12 tournament. And so you thought that, eh, how could that hurt them? So the fact that they got in his top eight, in addition to the ones that you mentioned um, stood out to me, East Carolina is the other one. Um, again, though, it's like, 
I like that they, they re it's not even a reach, but I like that they went with East Carolina. They're just from the standpoint of like, if we're not going to reward seasons like that, when everything aligned really for East Carolina, right. They run away with a conference that is most years right behind the big, you know, it, it's usually sometimes it's even as high as four in RPI, like four or five in RPI. It's a good league. It wasn't very good this year. I get it, but they ran away with that league. The RPI was in place. Like the stars really aligned for that. If we're not going to reward that with a top eight, like let's just pack it up on giving top eights out to teams in leagues like that. And Oh, by the way, this is it for like, for East Carolina, like they, I wrote, I tweeted about it last year when they got beaten by Vanderbilt. Like this is, and we'll have time to talk about this in the preview episode, but like part of their impediment to getting to Omaha is that they're never, they host pretty often. They're almost never a top eight seed. And it seems like they always end up opposite some juggernaut. Well, here you go. You're a top eight seed. Now the nine is Texas. That won't be easy, but like the path is, is there and that doesn't mean it's, it's a shoe in necessarily, but this is, this is one of their best shots to get, get to Omaha because for once they are, if chalk holds, they will be playing at home. Yeah. That is a, a really big deal for them as they look to make their first trip uh, to Omaha ever. And what you said there is right. Like if we aren't going to reward a team with a, their eighth in RPI, they have more than 40 wins. They ran away with their league. Uh, they were 19 and 10 outside of Greenville. Like there are a lot of things to really like about the resume. If we're not rewarding that with the top eight seed, what are we doing? But I can say almost all of that for Maryland. Number nine in RPI, like clearly won the big 10. They did not add a big 10 tournament title, but again, it just really felt like nothing that happened on Sunday mattered anyway. So who, who cares that Maryland didn't win the big 10 tournament? Um, you know, they, they're, they're, 21 and 10 away from, from home. And like, they, they just have a lot of very similar things. And you can say like, well, Maryland only has three top 50 wins and like, okay, ECU only has two. I just don't understand how there's a seven spot gap between ECU and Maryland. Um, ultimately what it is is strength of schedule. Like that's the thing, but is strength of schedule even worth seven spots? Like that to me feels absurd. Like I, I think Maryland deserved a much higher seed than, than 15 and, you know, right now, Maryland just kind of has to be quiet and accept it because they're hosting for the first time ever. But, uh, you know, that that also does just it doesn't it does not sit right that that ECU is so much ha- ahead of, of Maryland for me. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I was I mean, this is a Maryland team. And yes, like the RPI slipped a little bit, but there was a point kind of late last week, like Thursday, going into Friday, maybe where like Maryland was up to three in RPI. And really, I think they spent a couple days there and it was like, well, like, I guess this is a top eight team kind of regardless. And I was kind of thinking that, you know, them not getting to the final of the Big Ten tournament like that, that might be not such a bad thing for this team. That's very pitching, you know, that that once has its guys in the mound and and needs them in top form, like that might not be such a bad thing. And of course, as it turns out, like, I guess they could have used it if they wanted to be a top eight seed. Who knows if it would have ultimately mattered that much, but I mean, they, it turns out they needed everything they got though, just to, to end up hosting and we'll never know exactly how big the golf was. Um, but yeah, Maryland was, was precariously close to not hosting as it, as it turns out, which would have, you know, obviously that would have been quite a, quite a deal, but they, they do just enough as it turns out. And it also just seems wild. Like th- this is another one of those teams and there are a few teams in the field that are outside the field that we'll I'll mention this for, but what more did you want Maryland to do? There are only two teams nationally that have more wins than they did. Um, like, again, they won the big 10 in the regular season. 
I, I get that their strength of schedule isn't amazing, but like they went on the road to, to Baylor. They went on the road to DBU. They like played in East Carolina's tournament. They like, they scheduled Campbell, like, which is a, a tournament team. Like, I don't know what you wanted Maryland to do. And I, I just, I'm not the one that's ever going to say like, oh, if they were a more traditional program, they would have been treated better. But like, it does feel like the Maryland history is working against them here. And I like, otherwise I just don't see what the explanations are. And again, I'm not saying that they needed to be a top eight seed, like that not saying they needed to be ahead of Oklahoma state or something, but like, I just can't see a seven spot gap between East Carolina and Maryland. Um, I think, yeah, I think, go that's ahead. Fair. I, no, I was going to say, I think they got, you know, the regional advisory committees, I always call like the special sauce that when you, you like, when you, when you don't as, as a committee chair, committee member, what have you, and you, you, you can't exactly explain why something is, you know, you kind of sprinkle a regional advisory committee on it and who knows how much that actually matters or doesn't, but I have to imagine that, you know, they, they just got let down, I think by people, you know, in the room and advisory committees and, and all that kind of stuff, because I think that's one where if you saw Maryland and, and also if you saw what they were trying to do, they knew they had a good team. There's a reason they went on the road to Baylor and like, yes, Baylor turned out to not be helpful. Like ultimately, I mean, it's a top 100 RPI team. So like in RPI, they were at least marginally helpful, but it doesn't do much for your reputation. But, you know, they went on the road to Baylor. They played a Campbell team that I you know, I guess came back around, but, uh, you know, a Campbell team that, that wasn't a top, top 50 wins. They went and played in the LeClaire Classic. You know, I mean, they, you know, DBU, whatever. We can go on and on and on. Like there was an intent there. And I feel like they they, they maybe got let down by people in the room who weren't standing up a little bit for like, Hey, you know, we're really focusing as it turns out really focusing on this, you know, non-conference RPI thing. And yes, theirs is not great. And like playing Sienna, I guess will do that to you. Um, but there was an intent there that I don't think matches what they were given credit for. And I can't help, but think that they just kind of got let down by people in the room on that. I also think that you know, look, the Big Ten only plays 24 games, and we do not need to get into my thoughts on that. But they that means that you have to schedule two extra weekends as compared to the ACC and the SEC and the Pac-12. Like you, you so like there are only just only so many good teams you can keep putting on your schedule like that. At some point, you run out of like the ability to to schedule. It's it's a thing that the Big 12, the Big Ten, and the American all have to consistently deal with. And I I mean, look, I guess East Carolina did a better job dealing with it than Maryland, but I, it's, uh, I don't, I, I, it's a tough one for me. Um, Joe, we talked previously about Georgia Southern, how, how could a Sunbelt team host without a trophy? And here they are hosting without a trophy. Um, thoughts? I like, I don't really have a problem with this. I guess ultimately, like they won 40 games, they have an RPI of 11. They won 23 games in conference plus a couple games in the conference tournament. Like, I think I just have to say like respect to the committee for actually doing this thing that I didn't think you would do, but like Georgia Southern by the metrics that the committee uses deserve this, this spot. Yeah, for sure. And and if it weren't for the fact that there's obviously a team in, in Oklahoma that we've, that we've all rightfully decided to kind of latch onto um, and be aggrieved on their behalf for like, on behalf of like, 
if it weren't for that, like, I think there would be like a lot more, you know, be there, they'd be more roundly applauded for it. It just kind of feels like, well, because Oklahoma kind of got shafted and also we can latch onto this thing of like the big 12 title game didn't matter. Yada, yada, yada. It makes it tough for Georgia Southern, but generally taking that out of the equation, like in a vacuum, like, I love it. Like let's, let's reward a team that had a great season and hasn't hosted and has the facility to host like, you know, far and away, like their facility is great. Like let's, you know, let's, Let's give them that opportunity. Um, and oh, by the way, we'll talk about this in the preview episode. Like, I do also think there is some sort of like justice in like, all right, you want to host, huh? Okay, well, here's Notre Dame and Texas Tech. Have fun. Um, so that I mean, that's just like, well, welcome to hosting, kid. Like, I uh, hope you enjoy. Um, but I, I think, yeah, let's let's reward a program that has a breakthrough season like that. I like that the committee did it. We can sit here and nitpick especially with the Oklahoma situation. Like we can sit here and, and really break down resumes and Georgia Southern is going to have trouble stacking up in some of those metrics because they play in the Sun Belt. But like I said, generally speaking, I like that they, I like they did it, even if the entire time I, I kind of was doubtful that, that they would do so. So I guess in that way, it's a, it's a pleasant surprise. I do kind of wish they would have put it in San Marcos if they were just like, we need to have a Sun Belt team host. Um, Texas State didn't have the RPI. There's this 26 that's a strength of schedule issue ultimately. Um, but they have some really big wins. You know, they went out and they played at Arizona. They beat Texas once. Like I, I just kind of wish they'd given it to the regular season champ, but 26 RPI is it, it's too much. I get it. But uh, that, that is my one regret, but uh, you know, Georgia Southern uh, they took some lumps. Absolutely. When they went out and they played teams like Tennessee, but they, uh, they won enough games and, and they, uh, they did a good job in that conference, finished second, both in the tournament and the regular season, and um, they're getting rewarded for it. All right, let's uh, let's move on here to the uh, away from the hosts and the the seeding, and let's let's get to the bubble stuff. Uh, we're going to do that here in a second. I know that's a lot of people are probably excited to to hear what we have to say about NC State and Rutgers and, and Wofford and all the rest of that. We're going to get to that here in a second, but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. We, uh, let's, let's get down to the NCAA tournament bubble. That is obviously one of the big talking points coming out of the selection show every year. Uh, definitely this year as... If you look at our projections and you look at really anyone who put out projections, there were some serious discrepancies to what showed up in the actual field. Uh, This was not a year after four straight tournaments where we went 63 for 64. uh, This was not this was not that year. And so I think, Joe, what a lot of people are fixating on right now is that NC State got left out of the field. And, you know, that's understandable. It's first of all, it's NC State. And right now that's a lightning rod when it comes to baseball. And I mean, really, just frankly, the NCAA at NC State in general, uh, that that's that's a lightning rod. Um, obviously, what happened in Omaha happened. Uh, there was women's basketball controversy. There's probably been some other controversy that I'm not remembering or not even aware of it, like this is this is just where things are between uh the the university and, and the ncaa it feels like uh so they get left out despite the fact that nc state uh reached the finals of the acc tournament they have an rpi of 32 they won 17 acc games they have a winning record away from home they played uh their, their strength of schedule is 26. They have 13 top 50 wins. Like I can keep going. Like there, there are a lot of things here that indicate NC state was a tournament team. And as such, they were not really thought to be on the bubble. I kept thinking about putting them on the bubble at various times during this week, but they kept winning in Charlotte. And I just was like, well, they made the championship game. Like they're, they're probably safe. It turns out they were not safe. They're not in the tournament. Um, and Joe, you and I have had a chance to digest, digest this. And in the moment when you see NC state not show up in the field, it's like, wow, yikes. Like what just happened? But I'm not sure I feel that way anymore. Um, you know, Mike buddy laid out the case pretty well. Uh, why, you know, this team that only won four ACC series, like wasn't really, they, they didn't see them that way. And, you know, the more you think about it, I get it. Um, I'm not saying that it's right, but I get the case. Yeah, I think I'm, I mean, first of all, people, listeners who've listened to us for a while probably know that we're never going to be the show that's going to do, you know, shock and awe type, you know, outrage stuff. Um, Yeah, I have no outrage about this. Like there are good teams in, there are good teams out. Like it's hard for me to say that one of them is, like, I, I, I feel bad for the teams that got left out, but the teams that got in, like, I mean, how can you not feel good for those teams too? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ex- well, exactly. Yeah. Like, it, and I'm just, you know, personally, I'm someone that, you know, I, 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 I struggle with emotions that are very high or very low. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a therapist about it. I'm working on it, but like, I'm just never going to be, <laughs> I'm never going to be someone who like, I'm not very good at like the high emotions or the low emotions or angry. Like, it's just, you know, anyway, but I'm kind of with you. And so here's, here's the thing I, and I don't want this take to be 
misconstrued as me thumbing my nose at NC State or not understanding why they're frustrated. Because I actually do understand why they're frustrated and I'm frustrated on their behalf from the standpoint of throughout the history of college baseball, particularly what we know is like, you know, the modern history, let's just draw 10, 12 years or whatever, BB core era, however you want to draw a line. That has been a regional resume. There's a reason we didn't really debate them late in the week. You know, you laid it all out there. Plus they get to the final of a a major conference tournament. That has always been a very clean regional at large resume. However, where I will put some nuance in this discussion and agree with you is that that is also, by the way, the type of resume that people complain about when Wofford gets left out. And in this year, it was, it was not an either, or it was a both as it turned out, but you know, a Wofford gets left out. Right. Or, you know, you know, I'm trying to, you know, had Texas state take on a couple more losses, right. And gets left out or Rutgers gets left out again. Grand Canyon. A, right. Exactly. Yeah. Let's use grand Canyon. Exactly. Yes. So that's the, the, the resume we complain about because a lot of the positives of NC state's resume happen simply because they play in the ACC, right? But they lost majority of their ACC series. They lost seven series total. And yeah, they have a bunch of top 50 wins, but I bet if we really look through them, it would just be a lot of winning a game in a series they lost in the ACC play. And sure, again, let me reiterate, I understand why that's frustrating. That's an at-large resume 99 times out of 100 in every other year in college baseball. But it also is the type of resume that everyone looks around and goes like, gosh, you know, I wish they'd give it to the mid-major that had a breakout year in college baseball or to, a, in this case, a, a 45-win, 44-win Rutgers team or whatever. Like, we complain about that resume, but we just kind of accept it as an at-large resume. So this year, it actually is the resume that gets snubbed, but we're so conditioned to that being a resume that gets in, it kind of stoked some outrage and some frustration when in some ways, this is, I think, what a lot of people have been asking for in past years. Let's not just put in a mediocre major conference resume because they exist in a major conference. Let's reach for teams that had outstanding seasons that maybe don't have the RPI, maybe don't have the top 50 wins, but have these other things that suggest this was actually uh, the team that should be rewarded with a spot in the field of 64. So part of the reason why NC State is out, part of the reason why almost any of the teams that are out are out, is that their non-conference strength of schedule is 181. That's something that you heard Mike Buddy reference a lot today. It's non-conference strength of schedule. And, I, you know, Mark Etheridge had a comment, I think it was on Twitter, that you know, the committee sure seemed like they spun a wheel and they landed on non-conference strength of schedule this year. Like that was going to be the thing that was going to, you know, be the, the the talking point. And I thought it was a good comment. Like, first of all, like you heard it all the time, but it, it just feels like every year there's something that the committee kind of fixates on. And I don't know how fair it is to to the committee that that we we look at and say, like, why are you so, like, why are you so fixated on that? Like, why, why retroactively can I like go back through and like understand all your decisions through this one prism? Like it can't possibly be that simple. Can it? Like there must be other things that go into it because, you know, one year it's, oh, well, you can't get in if you have a, a losing record in your conference. Like we're not going to do that. There's, there's only one team in the field with a losing record in the conference. Like uh, that was, that was 2016 or 17. 
Then there was, uh, you know, last year, it didn't really get hammered home because Jeff Altier wasn't the best communicator of their decisions, but it sure seemed like it was a strength of schedule overall is what, what carried the day. And, um, you know, other years it, it might be top 50 wins or top 25 wins or, uh, you know, road record, whatever. This year, it was non-conference strength of schedule. I don't really remember that ever coming up before. That's not to say they don't talk about it in the room, but I don't remember it being provided as an explanation. But at the same time, like, I don't really have a problem with it. If if that were to be going forward, be a standard, like, why don't you play somebody non-conference? Like, I don't really have a problem with that. Um, you look at what NC State did non-conference this year, in terms of weekends, Evansville. Now, Evansville turned out to be better than I would have thought on opening weekend. I remember thinking, like, okay, great. They scored a bunch of runs. It was Evansville. Like, call me in a week. Uh, then they played Quinnipiac, which won 15 games. They played Northeastern, which is, you know, a team that's a regional regional caliber team most years, and they made it to the CAA tournament finals. But, you know, they were this was not a vintage Northeastern team. Those are their non-conference series. Oh, and Radford, uh, which uh, 15 wins again. Those are non-conference series. They did some things in terms of midweek, like they had two midweek games against DCU, but uh, they didn't play a whole bunch of like really tough midweek games. Partially like Coastal and uh, Campbell were canceled. Um, That obviously did not help them ultimately. But, you know, if that's going to be your schedule, you know, it, it, it becomes harder for me to like really feel like anybody did you wrong. Like, you know, just win some more games, man, or schedule a road series, which again, NC State didn't do that. All of this is at home. Um, I don't know. Like, that's kind of where I'm on landing on it. And it's just really hard for me to feel bad for any major conference team because ultimately you had the opportunities. You had the opportunities to win the games and you didn't win them. And, um, you know, like I said, NC State is a good team. You're absolutely right, Joe. That's a regional regional resume every single year, uh, except for this year, apparently. But again, like, I don't know, just win a couple more games and we aren't talking about it. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I, I'm with you in that, look, if, if, if they just, if they want to make non-conference strength, the schedule is something that really they, they hammer home year after year. Like if, if we're going to fixate on one thing, like outside of obviously RPI, like I'm, I'm good with that one, you know, cause you do have some modicum of control over it, right? Like Rutgers cannot control that the big 10 wasn't good this year and that, you know, une- uneven scheduling. And I don't even know if they really got hosed by that this year, but the, the big 10, that is often the case. So they don't have they any control. Not. They over played that. the the three other. Okay, best fair team. enough. They played Iowa, Michigan, and Maryland. Yeah, fair enough. But you know, non-conference scheduling to some degree, and I get it's hard, right? Like, it's it's not an easy thing to do. You hear this, I think, more so in the basketball tournament than you do here with with mid majors in basketball, kind of saying like we're trying to schedule. Like you hear this with like St. Mary's, for example. Like we're trying to schedule tough games, and like nobody will take us up on it because. But you know, one of the advantages baseball has there's. 56 games in theory plus conference tournaments baked into this thing. So any one loss is not going to hurt you. So there really is like an incentive to actually go challenge yourself a little bit scheduling wise, because even getting swept in a series, as we learned like time and time again, like there are tons of teams that just have really confounding sweeps on the resume and, and it's fine. So I, I like making it something that you actually have a little bit of control over versus something that you, that you just don't. 
I, I largely, I've said this before, and I don't know if you, uh, if you agree today, I really don't, because we, we really haven't gotten into it too much, but I just, I, I guess I've never really agreed with a take that we should make some goalposts and just keep them there. Now, I don't, I don't like all the time some of the like wonky justifications in hindsight like i feel it feels like i'm picking on st john's but the year that they pointed to st john's and said well 40 wins i mean that one i really don't want that to be a metric because like (laughs) then you're disincentivizing difficult scheduling but um i'm okay with it not just being goalposts that you're shooting for every year and again i understand there are jobs in the line here with coaches and so they they want the goalposts they want to understand what they're shooting for every year i'm okay with that not being the case but even i will admit that you know, having at least a little bit better understanding of like kind of roughly what is valuable here, I I think would be, would be welcomed. But what I don't want it to be is just some sort of formula that coaches savvy scheduling coaches can just figure out year after year. I I would agree that the broad strokes with that, I I agree with, I would love to see uh, a little more clarity on what they're looking for year in and year out. I mean, here's the thing. Ole Miss and Mississippi State play every year uh, midweek for the Governor's Cup. You cannot get a straight answer. Uh, You know, the the NCAA knows the answer, but you can't get a straight answer uh, about whether that game is counted on as as an official SEC game, like as a conference win or or, or loss, as a conference game for those schools or not. Um, The way it's written... Like the way the manual is written, you can interpret it whatever way you want to interpret it. And like, I, I am, I am confident that like their team sheets are proper, uh, you know, it, that they're reflected uh, properly in um, in Indianapolis as they're putting this thing together. But like, that's the level of, uh, or th- that's the lack of clarity that we're dealing with here from the outside. The coaches don't know, and um, that's a problem. So a little more clarity would be good. I'm fine that it's, you know, a little malleable that in a given year, they might look at it and say like, you know, cause the committee changes. This is, this is the whole point of having a committee. If you, if you're just going to have strict definitions, we don't need a committee, but you know, we, we have to find a way to, to judge these different conferences that play different schedules, different amount of conference games, uh, all the rest of it. So you got to have, some ability for the committee to look at it themselves and, you know, bring some amount of the eye test. Cause I don't think we'd be thrilled to your point, Joe, if, if it was just metrics, if it was just, uh, well, this is, this is what the metrics say and a savvy coach can game the system. Uh, I, I don't think we'd be thrilled with those results either. So I, I, I prefer what we have. It is imperfect. It leads to imperfect days like this, but I mean, again, like, the teams that are getting left out, I really the one that I would pound on the table and say, like, how did the like this should not happen is a team that I projected to miss the field. I mean, it's Wofford. That team won 42 games. It won its regular season championship. Its RPI is 35. Uh, I mean, it's scheduled decently. It, it has a non-conference schedule of 90. Like they went out and they played at DBU. I don't know what you want Wofford to do. I, I genuinely don't know what more you could you're asking of Wofford other than to, you know, not get upset in their conference tournament, but what more were the Terriers supposed to do to get into the postseason? That's a problem for me. That's a problem much greater than, um, you know, these major conference teams that aren't getting in. Uh, Cause I, 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 just, well, I 
top 35 in RPI, 42 wins. Like, what do you want from them? Yeah, that's that's tough when they are, and they have to feel like they really. I mean, first of all, <laughs> we've talked about it before. We we agree that East Carolina is the best program never been never to have been to Omaha. I think you and I actually broke it down on like a pandemic episode one time. The best program to not make a super, but I can't remember what we landed on there. Um, I know UNCW and, was mentioned, but I don't know if we. Yeah, like on they're it. in that conversation. Yeah, I feel like we came to a conclusion, but anyway, but like Wofford is the is the best program to not have made a regional recently. Just they're always here, and like this is the best year they've had, but. Like this is not uncommon territory for them, unfortunately. And I think what's kind of heartbreaking about it too, is they got some breaks. Like, yes, they, you know, they did some, some good scheduling to, to get a road series against Dallas Baptist, but they also caught some breaks where Penn was a top hundred RPI team. And for a lot of the year was a top 50 team and Belmont was a really good Belmont team in the OVC. And they ended up a top hundred RPI team. And I think at some point was pushing the top 50 at least. So they actually got some breaks. And it didn't end up amounting to getting to a regional, which is just kind of kind of heartbreaking for a, a coaching staff and a group of players that have just won a lot of games there and just can't can't quite seem to to break through. So I'm with you. I'm on I'm on that. I, I'm disappointed in that regard. And the other one is Rutgers, just because it's clear that program is moving in the right direction. I don't think this is kind of a one and done situation for Rutgers, but anytime you have that kind of big breakthrough season that's like undeniable, right? Like no one can deny we can sit here all day and, and nitpick the big 10, not being particularly good, yada, 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 but no one can deny this was a breakout year for Rutgers and to not be able to kind of celebrate that with a postseason appearance um, is just tough um, because that's also a resume, by the way, that tends to get in like, you know, the, it's a, it's a top 45 RPI, which you don't even always have to have that in the big 10, but it's a top 45 RPI with, you know, 44 wins and, and that that's second just, place, both in the tournament and the regular season, right? Good regular season record. Yeah. All that is a pretty standard big 10 at large resume. And so, um, the bubble tightened and it happened what happened, but that, that is pretty much a standard resume there. And, and to not be able to celebrate that season for Rutgers is, is pretty heartbreaking. The case against Rutgers actually is somewhat compelling to me. I'm not going to say that Rutgers like absolutely deserved to miss the tournament, but, uh, they lost, series to Michigan, Maryland, and Iowa. Uh, those are, I believe those were uh, one, three, and four, or one, three, and five, maybe, in terms of seeding in the Big Ten tournament. Um, so that's not a good look in your conference that, like, you, they basically swept every other series. They lost those three. Um, they lost a series to Nebraska-Omaha, which uh, didn't help them any. And they really played nobody, non-conference-wise. Um, there's one game against Coastal. Um, they're in the tournament. There's one game against VCU. They're in the tournament because they won the A10, and that's uh, that's just about it. And I'm not going to sit here and criticize the way Rutgers scheduled. Oh, they also played Hofstra in the tournament and they won that game. Um, I'm not going to sit here and criticize the way Rutgers scheduled. Like on some level, you just have to schedule wins if you're trying to have a breakthrough season. Like that's part of it is learning how to win. Um, but yeah, I mean, you would just expect that a top 45 RPI and second place in the big 10 gets you in. Um, again, though, like just win a few more games and this isn't an issue. Like I, it, it, I, this, you're on the bubble for a reason. And, um, I, that, that is, that is kind of the eternal truth of the, of the NCAA tournament bubble. And yeah, this tournament bubble is tighter than most, but you're, they're bubble teams for a reason. And, um, that's harsh. I know that's harsh on a day when 
you know, the feeling is, is very raw, but that is also a little bit of the reality, especially for the major conference teams. Right. The, the other, the, the other thing is, um, well, maybe you were transitioning here, but like the idea that UTSA wasn't even really on the board and old dominion just missed. I mean, UTSA was mentioned, like Mike buddy mentioned five teams on the conference call. Like they only put up the official mm-hmm. four, but he did mention mm-hmm. UTSA. It seems like they were okay. the fifth team out. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So they, they basically, I mean, if nothing else, that makes me feel good that like our evaluation of CUSA where it's like, I don't know how you take one of these teams and not the other was basically true. The bubble just moved so much where it ended up being neither. Um, but those are just, those are really good seasons. It, it kind of, def- I think you classify that as a breakthrough for UTSA and it just didn't happen. So, um, those are tough. I mean, this was, I've been following college baseball a long, long time and I've been writing about it for a while, but I've really just been a close consumer of college baseball for much longer than that. And I don't, I don't remember a year when the bubble moved as much as it did this year. I'm sure there's another example, but I mean, the teams we're talking about here, Wofford and UTSA and Rutgers, like for the most part, our teams until Saturday, at least, and maybe not even until yesterday, were not teams we were even, I mean, you and I have Slack discussions that time of year, like every, every night, basically comparing resumes. And we had stopped talking about basically all of those teams until, like I said, maybe Saturday, but really just yesterday. One more on the bubble here that I think it's worth talking about, Joe, is Ole Miss. Um, That was a surprise for a lot of people. If you look at my final projection, I didn't have Ole Miss in, but in my head and Joe can certainly back me up on this, like said it to plenty of people. Like, I'm not going to put them in the field. I, like, I don't, I don't have the guts to do that, but I'm not going to be surprised to see them there. And what do you know? Ole Miss is in. Um, it's a very typical bubble resume. Like, the question was asked, I believe, on ESPN, even of Ole Miss versus NC State. And my buddy laid out a case that was somewhat compelling for Ole Miss over NC State. And I don't know. It's just kind of another typical power conference bubble. And they happen to pick Ole Miss versus NC State. But, um, I do understand how you would look at that and say 14 and 17 in the SEC versus 17 and 16 in in the ACC. What are we even doing here? Like, why are we talking about this? Um, You know, and NC State has the better RPI as well, but um, Ole Miss is a good team. And, uh, you know, I don't just say that because we ranked them number one in the country at at one point, like that clearly was, uh, was not quite correct. (laughs) Um, I think think that that's sure been proven. probably wasn't even right at the time uh we also know now but it's still that they they have i mean they swept lsu like two weeks ago like they they have the ability to absolutely go out make some noise they closed pretty well um i'm not going to sit here and make a strong case for Ole Miss. i'm just not surprised that the committee included the rebs yeah it's i think it probably also helped them and i we don't know this but my hunch is that it it also was helpful that there were a couple usurpers in the SEC with Alabama and Kentucky, but neither of those teams made the final. Because um, one more win there, and maybe you're really starting to have to break down. Like, okay, is is one of those SEC team SEC teams better than Ole Miss here? Like, in a, in a real way. So that the fact that it's that with the fact that you know Ole Miss ends up you know 11, 12 spots, or 12 or 13 spots higher than Alabama and Kentucky in RPI you could really draw a line there, whether you think it, they're the best team or the most deserving team or not. Like there are ways in which Ole Miss was, was you could draw a hard line between them and those other two sec teams. And of course the more disparate resumes are with the other bubble teams, but just to draw the line with the sec teams there, um, you know, it's, 
the funny thing is if you're putting together a best field, I mean, yes, they've been playing better lately. They had that one game in the SEC tournament, which is just, you know, that those results get kind of wonky and they got a bad draw with having to face Carter Holton and all that. But, you know, if, if you're really drawing up a tournament, the teams that are capable of, of making like a real run, like, you know, I like Ole Miss chances better than I like some of those bubble teams and certainly more than the other SEC teams we're talking about here, Alabama and Kentucky. We know what that offense is capable of. The, the pitching got a lot better over the last month. So in that regard, like, I think it's easy to defend, even if we're all sitting here fairly surprised. And I, I wanted to make sure I also said one more thing too, because we mentioned his name a few times. Like this actually, this field is, I think, maybe you disagree, but I think this field is actually a lot more contentious or is more heavily content, like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Heavily debated, I guess, than last year's. But the way Mike Buddy handled himself versus Jeff Altier the previous year, um, even though last year's field didn't have as many like heavily debated things, like I think says a lot about like, we will accept some of these hard decisions, understanding their hard decisions. Like if you kind of lay out a clear case, we might not agree with that a case with that case. We might not ultimately like the decisions were given, but I think he's done a really nice job today, like at least getting out there and having clear explanations for the decisions they made. And again, we don't have to like them, but I do give him a lot of credit for being out there and, and, and answering questions and giving us justifications that at least make some sense, whether or not we agree with them. I, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that um, because I, I, and I don't have a, a lot of gripe with how he has handled the job, which is, which has not always been the case in years past. Yes, absolutely. And and it's not just to pick on Jeff Altier from a year ago, like there have been plenty of committee chairs previously that have not been, have not communicated as well as, as uh, Mike Buddy did. And look, th this committee, it should also be said, like, they're going to receive a fair amount of criticism, a, a lot of it stemming from, from Morali, but the way the bubble tightened on them made putting this year's field together quite possibly harder than last year's. And last year you were dealing with the most disparate scheduling situation in like 15 years and trying to justify like how or not justify, but trying to, trying to, you know, deal with the fact that the big 10 and the, the MAAC didn't play conference games and that the ACC was playing 12 conference weekends and all, you know, all the many things that last year brought, um, and I got a lot madder last year about some of the stuff. I don't even think that was explanation based. It was just like, uh, like, how can you not see the flaws in RPI this year? Like, why are we not addressing that better? Uh, this year, they just, they made some decisions and they're decisions that like, I don't even necessarily agree with or disagree with a, a ton of them. Like, just because my projections look terrible now, like I just, I... I always say, like, if you wonder why my projections look the way they do, just look at RPI. Like, I, I just spend a lot of time assuming the committee is going to do things the way, the lazy way that they've done them before and just, you know, run off RPI. They didn't do that this year. And so my projections are bad. Um, but in some ways, like, you got to applaud the committee for that. Like, they're doing something different. And like, again, I find the excessive use of RPI to generally be a lazy thing. They did not take that way out this year. And, um, you know, I don't, it's all a little too fresh for me to think like, is, is this, is this good? Is this bad? Is this indifferent? I don't know, but it's different. And that meant that I missed more than, more than I'd like to, but, uh, you know, I understand why it happened and, 
you know, this is this is the field we have. We just have to we, we now live this for the next month and it'll be a great tournament, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you and I will preview, uh, you know, that later this week we'll preview it and we'll have a fun time and it'll be awesome. And like that's, you know, ultimately we kind of give ourselves a day to, to digest this and talk about it and whatnot. But, you know, I think it's important, like if you're if you're an NC state fan, like be mad, like go for it. Like, and that, I, that sounds like I'm making a joke, but I'm really not like, be mad. You wanted your team to be in. You had a typical at large resume case. You didn't get in, like be mad. If you're Rutgers, you had a breakthrough season, be mad. But I think generally we have to uncouple the idea of, you know, whether something happened is kind of good or bad from the sport from having nitpicks with the field, I guess, because if that makes sense, because I, I'm with you in that, look, going away from RPI as a crutch, I think is a great thing for the college baseball field being put together. Um, because to your point, too often it is seemingly used as a crutch. It is used as a tiebreaker. It is used as an organizing tool. It just feels like they line up the top RPI teams and then like they kind of go through and like pick a couple out and insert a couple others. And then we're kind of like done. So the fact that they actually reached for some other stuff here, again, if you're an NC state fan, Rutgers fan, Wofford, whatever, like you're mad and I get it, but I think big picture, like I'm with you, like, let's take some time to really kind of digest this. But my gut reaction is that, look, if this lasts and there's no guarantee, right? Like next year, you know, there might not be a team outside the top 47 in RPI that gets an at-large bid. Like we've definitely had years like that. That might be the case next year, but I'm willing to at least hold out a little bit of hope that this is maybe a little bit of a turning of the tide for what the field looks like when it's all said and done. I think that is a great way to look at it. And I'm going to get us out of here on one, uh, one nice nugget that I, I uh, find from this field uh, on this Memorial day is the first time ever that two service academies are going to be in the NCAA tournament in the same year. Air Force is in the field for the first time since the sixties. They actually had a really nice run in the sixties, all of their appearances until this year we're in the 60s, uh, and Army is back in for the third, fourth straight year, whatever it is. Um, Roughly a millionth time in a row. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Patriot League dynasty continues. Um, so that's fun that, um, you know, first of all, you know, we, we talked with Jim Foster, the Army coach, on the podcast in the offseason. It's a good episode if you want to dive back into that. Uh, but this Air Force team is a legit team. Paul Skeens is an awesome player to watch. They have the Mountain West Player of the Year in addition to Paul Skeens. And like this Air Force team, uh, they could go there and make some noise in Austin. So I, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see them included. Yeah, they uh, they also played in Austin earlier this year and, and won a game. And yeah, they went one and one in the midweek. Just generally gave the Longhorns all they could handle at, at a time, mind you, when like that might have been like the nadir of the Longhorn season. But you know, they're not going to be intimidated by it. And Air Force, that the way that team plays, and we've had Coach Kaz in the podcast too, the way that team plays is not to be like awed by a certain situation, but, you know, being in regional is a little different. And these are human beings we're talking about, but they're certainly not going to go into that environment and be anything but ready to play. And, and yeah, especially, I mean, if the wind is blowing out in Austin, like that's a tricky, a tricky matchup there with like skeins on the mound and Air Force's offense, which really looks to do damage with every swing. Um, that, that could be, that could be tricky there for sure. It also notably, and we'll, maybe we'll get to this. Maybe we won't, I don't know, but I imagine that's going to force Texas to throw Pete Hansen on Friday. And that is, uh, not optimal for, uh, for Texas. 
No, no, no. I mean, yeah, that's a classic. We'll, we'll have plenty of time for this in the preview episode because it's one of my favorite little games to play is like, who's going to be brave and start their number two, <laughs> you know, to start off a regional and and who's going to do the understandable, but also like I think sometimes short-sighted thing of just defaulting to starting their to starting their ace. And there are four seeds where you definitely do need to do that and should do that, but not all of them. And there are some times where I think coaches just kind of just uh you know, automate to throwing their number one guy because it's the, the, you know, the whole, like take it one game at a time thing, but it's, it's, it's just one of my favorite games we play every year. Alrighty. Uh, also somebody on Twitter replied to just replied. I very sarcastically tweeted. Does anyone know if TCU and Texas A&M have played any significant postseason games against each other before? Cause they're in the same regional and college station. Another one of the fun storylines of this, uh, this field. And uh, now six hours later, somebody, uh, very helpfully like i'm not like give a very earnest reply uh, it's not what i was looking for but uh thank you everyone who uh who earnestly replies to my most sarcastic uh tweets with with the most helpful information uh and yeah, i am saying i'm saying that as like it, that might sound sarcastic again but i i do mean that earnestly like if, if you miss the sarcasm and give like a very helpful earnest reply like i appreciate you there's also no word on whether or not those two programs have any sort of like link between each other or, or anything like that, you know, like yeah. coaching histories or things of that nature. No word on that yet. Got to, got to fully investigate. We'll be back here on Thursday with an answer for you as we break down the college station regional and every other regional. Look at that transition, Joe. Um, make sure Pro's you are, pro. make sure you are subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, hit the follow, subscribe button. We will be back here on Thursday. We'll be continue coming at you twice a week uh, throughout the postseason here. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And Baseball America is where you can read all the work uh, as we uh, start cranking out those regional previews this week. Uh, and if you're interested in, in looking more into the, the field and our analysis thereof, uh, how the committee did, uh, plenty, plenty to read on that as well. All right. Happy postseason, everyone. We got through the regular season. Uh, wonderful tournament ahead. We're excited for it. Hopefully you're excited for it as well. And you'll uh, stay on this journey with us. So we'll talk to you on Thursday for Joe. I'm Teddy. Thanks for listening.